Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, Episode 9, recorded Sunday, July 7th, 2019. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Hello, and thanks for listening to Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Centropino. Well, it's hard to believe that the 4th of July 2019 is behind us. I hope everyone enjoyed the holiday. Now, we're set to continue our very busy dive season with some more diving and training. Today, I just finished up a private open water class, and that gentleman's going to be heading down to Curacao in a couple of weeks to do his uh, open water certification dives. He was really solid in the water, and he'll do really well down there in those tropical environments. Also, we're going to be heading back to Dutch Springs in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania next weekend for some more training and diving. It should be a lot of fun. Before I start the first segment of today's show, I want to briefly talk about a recent episode from World Ocean Radio. And that episode uh, was aired on June 24th, and it was titled Environmental Crime. And it's pretty powerful stuff. It looks back at the most egregious actions and decisions taken by individuals, corporations, and governments that led to the current environmental crisis that we're facing. It really is worth listening to, so check out Environmental Crime at World Ocean Radio. It's time for some accountability. In today's first segment, I'm going to talk again a little bit more about regulators, and specifically today about when you're ready to make that first purchase of a regulator. Regulators represent a significant investment for our divers. From the beginning of our training, we are taught about the ease of breathing as a primary function of a regulator, and that our second stages need to deliver gas at ambient pressure. That way we get gas delivered to us very easily no matter where we're at in the water column. Now there are a lot of brands of regulators out there. There There's some very high-end regulators and then there are not so high-end regulators. One of our favorite setups here uh, at Scuba Shack is an Apex uh, configuration and that regulator can cost about $1,000 by the time you're out the door. So that's a pretty big investment. And here's why I think you should make that with your local dive shop. You can very easily go online and find these regulators at very competitive prices, and they'll probably offer you free shipping along the way. So you'll get your regulator very quickly and uh, what you'll feel like is a very good price. Well, I'll bet you when you buy that regulator and it comes to you, you're going to get a nice regulator in a cardboard box, cellophane wrapped. And that'll have your first stage and your primary second stage. And then you're going to get your alternate second stage, uh, or octo, and that'll be in a nice cardboard box and cellophane wrap. 
Well, now you, unless you're very skilled at this or know what you're doing, you have to assemble that regulator. Well, when you buy it from a local dive shop, the local dive shop is going to take that regulator and put it together properly for you. They will ensure that the uh, O-rings are in place, that they're not pinched, that everything is tightened correct, uh, correctly, uh, that it's run correctly and rigged properly. The other thing that we like to do here at Scuba Shack is that we will test those regulators, bench test them before they leave the shop. First of all, we'll look at the intermediate pressure on the first stage, and we want to make sure that was, is well within specs. Sometimes they come in on the high end, and we like to dial them back a little bit uh, within the specifications because we feel like uh, the, the high end of the intermediate pressure puts a little bit more strain on that uh, second stage. And with the strain on the second stage, uh, you, you could have excessive wear on some of the parts. Also, the second stage, we test for cracking pressure. Uh, we want to make sure that, uh, that the regulator breathes properly with the least resistance but doesn't free flow. If you want to learn a little bit more about uh, cracking pressure, you can go online and do some research. The, the final thing that we do once it's all configured and, uh, and bench tested is we will hook it up to a tank, put it in some water, and make sure there are no leaks on that regulator, uh, no bubbles, nothing uh, coming out of it. So we've done a lot of stuff there to that regulator before it leaves the shop. When you actually come to pick up your regulator, you will get a, uh, a piece of paper that shows uh, all the tests that we did, what the intermediate pressure was, the cracking pressure, leak tests, hoses were checked, everything was in place. So you can think about buying your regulator online. You can probably get very good prices. Our prices are, are, are equally competitive. We have to deal with uh, minimum advertised pricing. So um, if, if there's some deals out there, they, they, uh, they, we can match them from a minimum advertised pricing standpoint. But look at the value you get with a regulator that's fully configured, bench tested, um, rigged, and um, out the door. Um, all for the same price. So really, you should consider giving your local dive shop the opportunity to compete when you're ready to make that significant investment in your first regular. In episode four of Scuba Shack Radio, I introduced the program known as Project Drawdown. And Project Drawdown is a comprehensive plan to reverse global warming. In the land use section of their solutions, they described how bamboo can be part of the, that solution. Bamboo is fascinating. I can remember going into the bamboo forest on Maui and being mesmerized by the size and the sound of the forest as the wind tapped gently against the bamboo. Little did I know just how powerful this grass is. According to Project Drawdown, bamboo has the compressive strength of concrete and the tensile strength of steel. Its versatile uses plus carbon sequestration place it among the most powerful plants on earth. Now, in the International Panel on Climate Change report 
global warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius, it identifies bamboo as a critical material in the struggle against climate change. There is also an organization, INBAR, or the International Bamboo and Rattan Organization, dedicated to improving the well-being of producers and users of bamboo within the context of sustainability. Getting back to Project Drawdown, they talk about how it can sequester carbon for hundreds or even thousands of years and how it can be used to replace high-emission materials like cotton, plastic, steel, aluminum, and concrete. It's also a fantastic replacement for pulp for uh, paper, yielding six times as much pulp as pine. For the numbers, um, there are 77 million acres today of bamboo worldwide. And if we were to add 37 million more acres to degraded or abandoned land, that's another key thing is that it can be used on degraded land that really can't grow anything else. They estimate that 7.22 gigatons of CO2 would be reduced by 2050. The cost to plant that, $23.8 billion, and the, the savings estimated at $264.8 billion. That savings doesn't take into account the, um, the avoided emissions when we're replacing things like aluminum, concrete, plastic, or steel. So it's time to start thinking about buying bamboo products. Um, maybe a good place to start is here at the shop and maybe finding some bamboo cutlery in place of those disposable plastic knives and forks or spoons we have. Maybe a little bit more expensive, but I think our world is worth it. As PADI instructors, we utilize a set of standards in delivering safe and effective training. Ever wonder just how these standards are developed? Well, one of the ways PADI develops our standards is in concert with the World Recreational Scuba Training Council, or WRSTC. And WRSTC is dedicated to worldwide safety of recreational scuba. Now, they maintain the minimum training standards that we should adhere to. They're broken up into four different groups, uh, RSTC, which is the U.S. version, RSTC Europe, RSTC Canada, and RSTC Japan. Recreational Scuba Training Council, RSTC U.S., is based out of Stewart, Florida. And there are nine training agencies, believe it or not, that are associated with uh, with. RSTC, including PADI, Professional Association Diving Instructors. There is IANTD, or the International Association of Nitrox and Technical Diving, NAWI, National Association of Underwater Instructors, PDIC, or Professional Diving Instructors Corporation, RAID, SDI, or Scuba Diving International, SN. 
SI, Scuba and Nitrox Safety International, Scuba Schools International, SSI, NACE, National Academy of Scuba Educators. So nine different organizations making up uh, RSTCUS. If you go out to their website, you can click on their standards link. And when you're out there, you'll find 15 different PDF files. And those are combinations of standards and forms. For example, Form 10 is uh, the medical statement that we all see uh, with, with Patty when we're uh, signing up our students for any sort of training. There's also Form 12, which is common hand signals that we all teach in, in our diving. So you can see pictures of all those hand signals. There are also standards out there for intro to scuba experience or what we call Discover Scuba. There are nitrox uh, uh, standards, uh, open water diver, and then there are also the professional level standards that are out there. Uh, And so I took a look at one, and uh, one of those standards is the recreational dive supervisor, or, you know, in Patty's terms, the dive master. And some of the things that it talks about there are the prerequisites to even start the training, your age, uh, that you need 20 log dives, the added experience of advanced, night, deep, uh, navigation. Uh, And then it also talks about that you have search and recovery documentation in your record. Um, Part of your certification is that you also do the uh, dive rescue class uh, as part of that certification that you have to have done. And then before you can become a recreational dive supervisor, according to uh, RSTC, um, you need to have 40 dives uh, by, uh, by the time you're certified. Now, one of the things that they do do in that uh, p- particular uh, standards are they say uh, these are the minimum standards, but there are also uh, standards that will be dictated by his or her training organization. So the training organizations always have that, uh, that option of adding more to the certification. So we can all uh, relate to our dive master training, especially when we had to do the buddy breathing with the gear exchange. So I guess that's Patty's way of adding to his or her training organization requirements. But WRSTC, you can go out there, take a look. You can see uh, where all these uh, standards uh, originate from. That closes out Episode 9 of Scuba Shack Radio. I very much appreciate your listening and hope that you're finding these shows uh, both interesting and informative. I will keep trying to bring you segments about various items related to scuba diving, ocean health and sustainability, and some of the history of man's venture underwater. As always, um, we appreciate any feedback that you might have or comments on the show. It's welcome. You can do that through the uh, Scuba Shack Radio website or through scubashackct.com and uh, look for the blog out there, Scuba Shack Weekly, and you'll be able to provide me any feedback. Again, we're hoping that you're having a really great summer. It's nice and warm up here in the Northeast. We're out diving and we're out having fun. Again, thank you for listening to Scuba Shack Radio.
Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.